we're live. We are live. Hello, hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good, yes. And welcome to another Quick Brew. Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) I'm glad you're here because I can't do it by myself. (laughs) Oh, you'd be all right. (laughs) Um, Quick Brew, if you haven't listened to us before, um, is the mini-me of strong tea. So strong teas, uh, we include a guest and we talk about things that are slightly difficult to talk about, things that we consider or society considers taboo. And Quick Brew is the younger sibling, the smaller sibling, uh, where it's just myself and Katie. And we stick on topic to, of things that are quite difficult to talk about. Um, but it is just me and Katie chewing the fat, bringing the facts um, and learning a lot during the process, which is why I'm really excited for, for this one, actually. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Really spilling the yeah. tea. Spilling the tea. On, on the subject of tea, mm-hmm. what are you drinking? I'm going to apologize to everyone. Oh dear, that's not a good start. It's not a good start. I'm on coffee today. What? Yeah, yeah. So we're recording on a Thursday. It's coming towards the end of the week. I need the extra rocket fuel to just push me through to the end. Fair play. Fair yeah, play. So it's, but it's a nice one. It's a, an espresso caramel cookie. Oh. Oh yeah, that, right. That mm-hmm. does sound nice. Is it quite mm-hmm. sweet? No. So it smells like it should be sweet, which is why it's quite a surprise when you drink in it. It's quite bitter, but I have put a bit of almond milk in it. Ah. Uh, so, yeah. I've just realised how ridiculous that sounds. <laughs> just, you know, those drinks that some people in Starbucks order, you know, the Frappa Mocha water milky Fricinos things. I've just realised I've joined that group of people, haven't you I? Have. You have. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you have. Yeah. That's fine. There's no judgment here. There's no judgment. There, there really I, is. <laughs> I've just I've just gone for a uh, Yorkshire tea gold. Oh, that's my girl. Yeah, yeah. Just thought keep it classic. Yeah, keep it classy. Keep it classy. Yeah. I don't know. I still don't know what the difference is between the regular Yorkshire tea and the Yorkshire tea gold. On the next quick brew, we'll do a tea test. Yes, we tea should. Yeah. Does that mean I have to bring two cups of tea? Yeah, you have to double park for that one. I'm afraid. Okay. All right, yeah. I can do that. That's fine. Cool. Anyway, before we talk about tea all day. Our topic for today, um, and this is this is an interesting one because um, we want to be educating ourselves. This is something that I actually got diagnosed with um, several years ago. I won't say how many. Um, <laughs> come on to that later. Um, but it's a condition which is very, very varied. Um, going from person to person it can be completely different from one person to the next so learning about this as a whole um it's actually things that I found out about that I didn't know so um the topic today is fibromyalgia so I'm going to pass it over to Vicky initially to talk about what it is and then I will come back and tell you about my experience do you know what I've learned a lot just from researching for this episode um and my eyes have been well and truly open. So I only just learned how to say fibromyalgia. Still haven't learned how to spell it, as it turns out. Um, but yeah, it's been a fascinating journey into what it is. So it's fibromyalgia is a condition that causes uh, pain all over the body. Um, and it's also referred to as widespread pain. I don't think that's the medical term, but I think that's kind of when people are trying to describe um, 
and it can cause sleep problems, fatigue, and often emotional and mental distress. Um, and what happens is people with fibromyalgia, they, they may be more sensitive to pain um, than people that don't have the condition. Um, and it's called abnormal pain perception processing, um, which in itself sounds really uncomfortable, really, really horrible. So the most common symptoms of fibromyalgia is um, digestive problems like uh, abdominal pain, bloating, um, even IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. You can get fluctuating stiffness, numbness, feeling of weakness, an intolerance to cold. So the colder weather and just feeling the temperature drop. Um, as we said, really bad sleep problems, headaches, chest pain, a lot of sensitivity to light, smells. Uh, we've said temperature, but sound as well. Um, and dizziness, anxiety, panic attack. I mean, it, it's just awful. And then there's, there's a cognitive side. So that's the problems with thinking, memory, concentration, recall, and generally just communication as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I mean, it causes lower quality of life. Just, you know, hearing the symptoms and hearing what it is. It sounds horrific, and I can't believe I didn't know about this before. Particularly, we'll come along to the facts later of just how many people um, have got fibromyalgia, the ones that we know about. Yeah. Um, so, Katie, I mean, you, you you've been diagnosed with this. What? <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> what, what's it like? <laughs> well, it's it's such it's such a weird one because it's so difficult to diagnose. Um, and what I will say before I tell you about my experience is that I've got relatively mild fibromyalgia. Um, I've got, I know people, I know friends of mine who've got it very, very badly and suffer a great deal. Some people I know have been confined, not through their full life, but part, part way um, in a wheelchair because the pain is so severe. And the diagnosis and the symptoms vary significantly from person to person, as I already said, and also fibro can mimic other symptoms of other conditions. Um, unlike other conditions, um, you can, there is no test for fibromyalgia. There is not, no way really of, you can't have a scan, you can't have a blood test. It really is one of those things that takes a good practitioner to be able to say, yes, looking at your history, this is what it is. Now, um, my, my sort of journey started when I was around about the age of 19 and I was at university um, and I was suffering quite a lot with stress at the time, um, things going on in my personal life, but also, um, you know, the you know, moving away from home, like paying bills for the first time, doing uni work and actually having to get stuff in on time without someone going who's doing homework you know taking on all that responsibility of being an adult human um so I started to get a lot of stress headaches and also chest pains and I went to the doctor at the time and the doctor said the headaches are something which you know you need to control by pain meds obviously as you as you would and it was it felt very much at the time like oh, okay this is a solution whereas actually you just think well no Surely they should have been asking why I was getting the headaches rather than just saying, yep, just take this, you know, whatever. Um, I was also getting very dizzy and fainting a lot as well. So they put me on a gluten-free diet because they said, we think you might have some 
digestive digestive issues um <laughs> so they said you know try a gluten-free diet see how you get on see if it improves the symptoms the chest pains you know it wasn't like oh my goodness I'm gonna have a heart attack but it was just this pain in my chest sporadically it wasn't there all the time but it flared up at times when I was particularly stressed or irritable and I got diagnosed with something called um costochondritis oh the only way I can describe this um if you're a bit squeamish maybe give it 30 seconds um, do you um you don't eat meat Vicky do you so no I don't know um so are you aware of spare ribs from the Chinese I have only been uh, off meat for three years and spare, uh, spare ribs was one of my favorite. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope this doesn't put you, well, you no, can't, can't put you off it now, can I? But, oh, no. <laughs> so you know, you know, the fatty bits that you get at the end of spare ribs yes, and the, the yeah. fat that fills around it. Basically it's that, and it's an inflammation of the fat between your rib cage and it's pushing your ribs apart. It's an inflammation oh. of the, and swelling. So this can <laughs> good grief. It basically sort of edges your rib cage apart just very slightly, but it then comes down when the inflammation comes down. So um, wow. they can treat it with a steroid injection, but because I was getting it at different points in my chest with a steroid injection, you need to have it at one point. And they said, well, we're not going to do that because it's too varied about where it is. And I was like, well, that doesn't really help me. And so the, the chest pains continued, but they'd sort of said, you know, it's, as far as we're concerned, this is what it is. There's nothing to be concerned about. They didn't even say it's flaring up through stress. They just said, oh, it's just a condition that you've got. So I was like, oh my days. right. Okay, fine. So I had a range of issues, um, probably for like the next 10 years um, until I ended up in hospital um, with very severe, severe pains in my, well, I suppose at the time I would have described it as in my ovaries, in my sort of womb mm-hmm. area. Um, and I ended up in hospital and I had keyhole surgery because they did scans and they were like, we can't see anything wrong. We need to go in and have a look. So they went in, they were like, everything looks fine. It's like, great, but what's wrong? They were like, we don't know. Uh, we think it's gastro related. So they referred me to the gastro clinic. The gastro clinic were like, well, we can't see any reason why it would be gastro related. So they turfed me out again. So I went back to my GP and I'd been with this GP because I bounced around from mm. uni to different places over time. So each GP that I was seeing was a new GP with different sort of symptoms and things. And no one actually took the time to put those symptoms together and say, yeah, this is what it is. And the GP actually went through my notes from the last 15 years and put two and two together, took out their wide, uh, it's called a widespread pain index. So this is how they diagnose it. They use this pain index, which is a sort of visual representation of the body, which has got different pain points on it. And they also use a severity, symptom severity scale. And they used my notes from the last 15 years, these Mm. two documents, and said, do you know what? You've got fibromyalgia. And I was like, oh, uh, what the hell's that? <laughs> and much like we've talked about before with things like anxiety and GAD and mm-hmm. bits and pieces like that. As soon as I had a diagnosis, I was able to go off and research it and find out a little bit more mm-hmm. about it because 
helpfully the GP that diagnosed me, wonderful as she was, she retired like two weeks after she gave me diagnosis. <laughs> I was like, that's me, I'm done, finish me off. Um, and she left. And I was like, well, what happens now? So I was kind of left to deal with it myself. Um, and over time, I, I will tell you what I did for, for um, supporting it, but my symptoms, so these weren't all of my symptoms, but the most severe ones included headaches, um, IBS. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've mentioned fibro fog, which mm-hmm. is cognitive issues, um, fatigue, and issues with sleeping, fainting and dizziness, um, te- a lovely condition called temporomandibular joint dysfunction. That's wonderful. That's What's really that? Nice. It's like a swelling of the jaw. You can't see it, but oh. it um, it basically means that your your jaw swells and you can't open your mouth properly. So the fleshy the fleshy part of your jaw, the bit yeah. that hasn't the bit that's got the teeth in. Um, inflames and you can't you can't eat properly you can't talk properly can't open your mouth properly um so that's fun um costochondritis uh painful periods also had issues um i still get this quite a lot now issues with my hips so pain in my hips um sensation of like a tingling a burning sensation um and numbness and then also the psychological things that come with it so mm. um irritability and mood swings that come out of seemingly nowhere Mm. um anxiety is also a big issue um and the GP who diagnosed me pinpointed that the times in my life when I was getting these flare-ups were related to specific stress points in my life so breakups Mm. issues with partners Mm. um exams moving and I specifically get these problems around these times um and I get problems with some of these things still to this day Mm. but I now do a lot of things to try and manage that so it's not quite as intense as it used to be but some Mm. people have it so severely that actually very little what they do actually makes it any better so it can really be on this huge scale yeah of mildness to quite severe life impacting I mean you touched on there about um pinpointing those moments in your life where it's uh, been amplified or got worse and doing the research it, it said that the exact causes of fibromyalgia is is not known um they do think that it's related to abnormal levels of certain chemicals in the brain yep. and changes in the way um your central nervous system processes uh, pain messages. So basically there's disruption or, you know, an imbalance of when the body is carrying those signals that you're in pain to the, to the brain. Um, so that means that there's brain dysfunction, spinal cord dysfunction and, and nerves all together. The messages just aren't getting through. Um, but they're also saying that, you know, in many cases, the condition can be triggered by a physically or emotionally stressful event so much as you were saying, an injury or infection, um, giving birth, having an operation, uh, trauma, so things like breakdown of relationships or death of a loved one. So anything that's psychologically or physically um, traumatic can actually trigger this process. And that yeah. sounds like that's that's kind of what's happened to you. 
Yeah, and I, I think because one of the one of the key things that they normally offer to you um, is anti um, antidepressants or anti anxiety meds, because obviously it reduces the stress levels, therefore reducing the um, issues that you have cognitively, the way that this this these pain signals are being sent, and therefore calms everything down. Um, it's the antidepressants and things like that only have a very small impact mm. it's about sort of 20 to 30 percent um impact and the rest is down to your lifestyle changes and okay. you know one of the I went to see um a holistic therapist not long after I was diagnosed because I was like well you know the GP like I said had retired went to see another GP and they were like well we don't really know what causes it and we can't really do a lot for you um here's some pills and I was like again I don't want to be taking meds I want to be seeing if I can control this um and this holistic therapist said a lot of these cases are worsened by stress and lifestyle um including diet and exercise um and I was already still following a gluten-free diet um because of the previous comments and I thought I wonder I wonder how much that actually is impacting me so I went back on gluten for a while celebrated with a Big Mac nice nice (laughs) and actually for about a week or so I didn't really notice an impact following on from that eating carbs uh, not Mm -hmm. carbs eating gluten um was causing me worse issues it was it was impacting certain things like my cognitive um function um my digestive mm-hmm. function which gluten tends to mess with ibs and things like that anyway so um being on a gluten-free diet i know des- definitely helped and knowing certain factors of stress certain impacts things that impacted my anxiety because it should be said that fibromyalgia is neurological and not psychological right so it's not a condition like depression or anxiety it is a chemical imbalance in the central nervous system so it's Mm. it's in your brain Mm. and there's very little you can do about it whereas with anxiety depression we've already touched on you can treat with meds and you can go to therapy and things like that Mm. now I'm not saying that this can't be treated with therapy but you you can never get away from it it's always Mm. there because it is a chemical imbalance and there's Mm. nothing that can be done for that um the impact on my mental health was quite profound when I didn't have a diagnosis Mm. um and of course that's a sort of double-edged sword because you keep you know, if you don't have a diagnosis, you're like, well, why do I feel like this all the time? Why am I so exhausted? Why this? Why that? And you've got so many questions because, you know, you think, oh, maybe I know we've talked about this with different things before where you think it's normal because Mm. you think everyone's experiencing life like that. Everyone's always got a headache. Everyone's always got IBS. And actually that's not the case. And I don't know actually where I'd be if I hadn't had that GP who had actually taken the time to go through things, would I still be struggling on? possibly you know would I still not have a clue about how to deal with it whereas now I do have a better idea and I do have you know a slightly better handle on things but you know with things like when Poppy died certain symptoms started to filter back through and you could 
having the diagnosis and knowing what it is, you're able to go, oh, that's what that is. And that's why I feel it. Yeah. So you can kind of, you, you, you're better prepared mm. because you know what you're dealing with and you know that it's that that's causing it. So it's sort of like, right, well, pain meds don't really help, but they might give you a little bit of respite for a short while. Mm. You know, sleeping tablets might help you a little bit just to get a little bit of sleep and rest and therefore will help you feel generally better. So, yeah, it's a it's a real conundrum. It used to be one of those things that was talked about um, that doctors just said you had it because they didn't know what else it was mm. because it was yeah. so it had so many factors and they go, oh, you don't really know what it is. Right. Okay, you got fibro. But it's not like that now you know the the knowledge surrounding it is so much better um and more and more people who are diagnosed with it are coming forward and uh, you know exhibiting symptoms and talking about them and there's now Mm. some fantastic fibromyalgia networks and support support pages available so it is better now than it used to be in terms of knowledge but it's just really crap to live with it (laughs) i can't imagine because everything you're saying and as you as you've said, it, there's an element of just not being in control of this because it's your central nervous system and it's the chemical imbalances. It's, you know, that neurological, um, what's the word? I didn't want to say defect, but that, that you know, that, that kind of broken connections neurologically that have yeah. created this condition. There is very little that you can actually control from it. And that not being able to control a condition where you are in pain it's no wonder that it's going to impact you psychologically with your mood, with your depression, with anxiety, yeah. because you just don't know. I mean, I could be speaking out of turn, but I guess you don't know when your bad day is coming or when you're going to have a flare up. Is that how it works? Is it flare ups? Is it, is it kind for, of- for me, for me, it is mm. um, It's specifically around times of stress and anxiety, um, mm. which is why I try and do all I can to avoid triggers, mm. steer clear of, you know, those sort of times in my life and also, um, do a lot of therapy to try and ease that. Um, but I have a friend of mine who has fibro, but also has, um, arthritis. And so she is in, she has chronic pain 24 seven and that's debilitating in terms of just mentally, Yeah, you know, it's, it's so heavy to, to wake up and you wake up every day and you don't like you say you don't know how good you if you're gonna have a good day if you're gonna have a bad day if you're gonna be able to even get out of bed and that's the scale that people with fibro live on you know some people can live their lives and they get flare-ups you know they they still have a sort of underlying level of pain there for a certain extent of their life but they get flare-ups whereas other people it is you know we're talking anything anywhere between 70 and hundred percent all of the time. And that's, you know, I, I feel for those people because even just having flare-ups and having to deal with those short brackets of time is hard enough. And I don't even know how people go about their lives in constant pain. So coming from potentially a naive question is fibromyalgia a disability it's classed, it's, it's actually now classed as a disability in the UK. Um, and I, di- I actually didn't realize this, um, but in the UK, 
Um, a person is considered, I'm just reading this, I'm, this I haven't I haven't scribed this. By the way. <laughs> um, in the UK, a person is considered disabled if they have a physical or mental impairment that has a substantial and long-term negative effect on their ability to do normal daily activities. The Department for Work and Pension recognises fibromyalgia as a real and potentially significantly disabling condition. Right. So it is described as a disability. Um, and I can totally see why it would be for, for some people, because like I've said, you, you kind of, the list of symptoms. So I had, when I first, um, got diagnosed, I was like, right onto Amazon, find a book, read a book because where else would you start? And I bought the dummies guide to fibromyalgia. And honestly, I opened these pages and it was like a tick box exercise. It was like, yeah, that, had that, had that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and you're going through and you're like, crikey, why hasn't, why has no one picked up on this before? But like I say, it is very difficult to diagnose, but there are so many factors to it mm-hmm. and it can, it can be completely debilitating from, from a physical perspective, but also a mental perspective as well, mm-hmm. because like you say, the impact of long-term chronic pain on your mental health is going to be profound you know living with that pain all the time and not being able to get rid of it yeah I mean it's yeah it's unimaginable yeah if we're gonna you've you've done a neat segue there for me for fibro facts Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I was going to say funky fibrous facts, but let's keep it on a, <laughs> on a sensible. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyone can develop fibromyalgia. Um, however, it does affect um, seven times uh, as many women as it does men. And what else I found really interesting in doing this research is that it typically develops between the ages of 30 and 50. Okay. So that I found particularly interesting. Now it can occur at any age, um, including children and the elderly, but that's kind of where it's the the most people develop fibromyalgia is between 30 and 50 and more women than men um, are prone to getting it as well. Um, And some, yeah, some estimate that it's um, one in 20 people that are going to be affected by fibromyalgia but as you were saying before, because it's so difficult to diagnose and because it's not always diagnosed, those that fact, that figure is not completely accurate because, yeah, the, the cases that we know is one in 20, but it is more than likely a lot higher. And that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot, right? Yeah, it, it is. And it's like you say, the I think the problem is because it's so difficult to diagnose, but also you know, there, the symptoms are so varied that the chances of a GP saying when you first go in to see them, right, you know, well, I, I've, I'm having issues with pain and, you know, I'm getting a lot of headaches all of the time and I've got massive issues with IBS. Chances are that GP is not going to say, oh, let's test you for fibro, mm. you know, and do GPs have the time to do that Mm. and do you have also as well I think I was quite lucky because it was just before the time when you know you'd ring up the doctor's surgery you'd have to talk to a receptionist and tell them because 
you know, they are medical experts now, um, you know, tell them what the issue was. They would then assign you to any old GP and you don't build up that relationship. Whereas if you're building up a relationship with a GP, mm. they see you time and time again. And then all of a sudden it starts to, you know, think, oh, well, actually that's an issue and that's been an issue. So maybe it's that. And I think the time scale that has to be covered as well with you know you experiencing issues because what if it what if it is something else but also what if you've only just started experience those things at what point does a gp say right let's go back through your notes mm. if they even have time to do that so i think it's yeah when you say one in 20 it sounds quite high but i think realistically there are a lot of people out there who are suffering with chronic pain and haven't been diagnosed or maybe they're thinking maybe everyone's like this maybe maybe it's normal you know and and I know from speaking to a lot of different people different people deal with things and chronic pain in different ways um and I've got I've got a friend who goes to you know the um float tanks oh yeah yeah salt float tanks Mm. and they said actually that helps so much because sort of laying in the warm water floating and having no cognitive disturbance mm-hmm. actually brings them a level of calm and actually sort of soothes the pain levels in their body I've got another friend who goes regularly for um like a heat wrap type thing uh acupuncture you know there's all sorts of different things but it's as we say so frequently when we do these quick brews and we look at these different conditions, it's not one size fits all. No, no. And I, I as we were going through um, the symptoms list and then you were coming up with more and the things that you've had, it's becoming increasingly obvious that not everyone has the same symptoms. You might just tick four or five, but that doesn't mean you don't have fibromyalgia. It's, it's yeah, it just seems like it is very case by case basis yeah yeah and and I think it does take one person to to get to know that person Mm. and be able to diagnose it because the way that GPs work now I mean I can my my GP practice that I use now which is different from the one Mm. that diagnosed me I've been with it four years never Mm. seen the same doctor you know and I go in and they'll say you know I'll say what whatever and they'll say oh and have you experienced this before so it's proof that they haven't looked through notes Mm -hmm. and I know before anyone complains I know GPs are very stretched the NHS is under a great deal of pressure but you know it's very what I'm saying is is it's very difficult for someone to be able to get to know a person in the current ways the GPs practices are running yeah and that's what makes diagnosis even harder because you know you haven't got that hindsight of what people have been through and therefore that's why the one in 20 is probably a hell of a lot higher yeah yeah I think the other, yeah sorry and no, I no. Think the other stat that really disturbed me and this goes on to what you were saying before we um introduced this segment was about being in constant pain and living with that you know never-ending um feeling of just doom and you know just feeling that intensity and the higher death rates um, are from people with uh, fibromyalgia. The death rates from suicide and injuries are much higher 
with people with the condition. Um, although overall the mortality rates are similar with those who don't have the condition. Yeah. And I found that really, I don't know, it just, it kind of clicked after what you said about living in constant pain. Of course, that stat's going to reflect that. And I found that really, yeah, really sobering. Yeah. I think, I think it is, um, it is incredibly sobering because the thought for many people um, who don't have a condition of chronic pain um, to even imagine it that you can never escape the pain doesn't matter what you do you know you may get respite from it and there are you know I'm not saying there aren't things that help because there are but like I say you have to find what works for you mm-hmm. and being in a mindset where you just think I'm gonna live my life like this forever there's no way out that's that's a massive hit on the uh, mental mm. you know mental mindset in its in its own right you know forgetting that you do have to get up every day find the strength to shower wash your hair get up go out go to work you know it's it is debilitating and mm. I think there are certain things that make it worse as well and um the friend who I was talking about earlier um described how during pregnancy because one of the one of the things that was a concern of mine when I was pregnant with Poppy was all the books say fibro can get worse during pregnancy. And so at the time, very early on in my pregnancy, I got in touch with this friend and said, uh, you know, how was your experience? And she said, actually, many of my symptoms eased during pregnancy, which is amazing because actually all the research that's been done Mm -hmm. says that women who have fibro who get pregnant get so many more symptoms than those who don't have fibro Mm. and you can imagine when you know you're going through pregnancy and you're getting all those aches and pains that you get naturally growing a human inside you having that on top of Mm. extreme fatigue you know the muscle aches the soreness the sensitivity all of those things that come with it as well again psychologically that's hard it's really hard (laughs) yeah and it's interesting having you say that I wish I'd looked into more research about because one of the things that I came across as well is that adults with fibro are more than three times uh they're three times more likely to have major depression and it's kind of okay so with pregnancy you're you know every pregnant lady is going to be at risk of um so pregnant person is going to be at risk of postnatal depression so what are the stats there and that would be an interesting one to look at as well is you know after having a child and if you do have fibro what what are the numbers there yeah yeah it's I mean it's (sighs) I, I can't because I thankfully during my pregnancy with Poppy, even though I did have symptoms, they weren't to the point where it was, in, you know, so extreme. Mm. It was after after we lost her. That's when the symptoms obviously came up because you're dealing with a whole different um, ball yeah. game there. Um, and that was a point of flare up for me. But it just women in general have to go through so much when they go through um you know, child, child, I was going to say child rearing. Makes it sound like cows. I don't know. No, I didn't mean that. Um, like that. 
<laughs> um, when women are pregnant, they go through so much with their bodies anyway, but to have to deal with that on top of chronic pain is, um, yeah, it is going to impact anyone significantly. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's something that needs further looking into further research. Cause what I did look at it, it sort of said there hasn't been much research done and you mm. think oh, we're in 2022 now why hasn't much research been done you know mm. this is over the last 10 years since I've been diagnosed I've seen more and more things come to light over time which talk about fibro and it's a more it's a more accepted let's say condition mm. because before because it's so difficult to diagnose it's almost been a little bit um I don't know what the word it's almost been a bit shunned by people yeah it's a made-up condition and it's just like it's just I can understand why you'd say that if you didn't have it but it, it is real and there are people out there actively suffering with it daily and trying to go on about their daily lives and so much more research is being done now but so much more needs to be done yeah it's, it's almost a hidden disability affliction, isn't it? Where if you can't see it, then you're going to have a majority, well, not majority, you're going to have a degree of people just not believing it. Yeah, yeah. And it's that's that's the difficult thing as well with, like you say, hidden disability. It's like anything, like arthritis, you know, any form of chronic pain. And even to a certain extent, you know, could, could I don't know if it's actually if mental health issues are described as hidden disabilities um but just because you can't see it you know mm. just because I'm not in a wheelchair or not on crutches it's like oh there's nothing wrong mm. and that's not the case you know probably every week probably five days out of seven at least I have a headache Okay. Um, optical migraines are an issue for me as well. Um, they are less frequent and less severe, but they, when they do come on, man, do they come on? Um, what are optical migraines for for people like me? So, <laughs> for people like me. Um, so imagine, you know, when you get your photo taken and you get that sort of like, you might get a little white line in your eye where you're like trying to blink it away. Yeah. It starts like that and you might look at something across the room and you might see the corner of this line and you think, well, oh, that's okay. That's starting. And slowly it develops to this little fuzzy ring that almost looks, it almost, it's almost like it's fitted around your pupil and it's this fuzzy little ring that goes round and it creates blurred vision oh, wow. and it gives you, it gives you this really intense headache I've been to the opticians, so they're like, oh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's fine. It's perfectly normal. I'm like, okay, great. Um, <laughs> and Is I spoke normal? <laughs> yeah, no, I spoke to the doctor about it. The doctor's like, you just need to lay down. I'm like, what if I'm not at home? Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's sort of, and it does, if you lay down in a dark place with your mm-hmm. eyes closed, and I, I, I mean, I go whole hog. I'm like laying down. I've got the curtain shut. I've got my eyes closed, and I've got something over my head as well. <laughs> and it does go. It does go after sort of about 30, 40 minutes. But it can be quite, you know, all of a sudden you're like, I can't, I can't see anything. Why can't I see anything? You know. And it's, um, yeah, it's another one of those things that just comes out of nowhere. And like that, you say, yeah. you just don't know when you're going to get hit with stuff like this. Yeah, and that goes back to 
how on earth do you prepare yourself? Because you don't know when the flare is going to happen, how it's going to affect you. You could be out in the middle of not nowhere, but you could be at an important appointment or doing anything like that. And it just happens. And like you said, you can't just lay down in the middle of the street or on a bus or yeah, it's, it's yeah. Difficult. I think it's um, because another friend of mine who has fibro, she talks about how um, to start, she used to work at a place and her boss, she, when she first um, started working there, she said, you know, I, I need to make you aware of this condition and um her boss was all very oh yes that's that's terrible you know and very supposedly out front very understanding mm. but she had days where she couldn't go into work because it was so severe she couldn't she couldn't get out of bed and eventually they started putting her on I don't know what the right term is putting her on report um oh. no I don't know yeah it basically sort of um she was on like written warnings because she was taking time off and this was this was back in the day before it was more recognized and before it was seen as a disability and all those sorts of things but employers need to be more understanding because you know when you're working in a work environment it's not always the calmest it's not always the least stressful and things like that can have a big impact on people with chronic pain. And there needs to be more done to recognize mm. things, hidden disabilities, like you say, but more to allow for if there are flare ups, if there are issues, you know, like I'm very lucky because I work from home. If I need to go and lay down, I just go and lay down. Mm. But a lot of people can't do that. And that's obviously you know, an issue for many people. So yeah, it's, it's a really hard one because you kind of talking about a condition that's so varied, everyone suffers differently with it. It's very um, differing from person to person. And it's so misunderstood because there's Mm -hmm. not that much information about it because it's like, well, one person might have headaches and IBS and the other person might have, you know, symptoms, meaning they actually are wheelchair bound. And would you look at those two people and say they've got the same condition? Probably not. Yeah. yeah. That's that incredibly vast scale we were talking about earlier. Just, yeah. And I, I loved um, when you said the doctor gave you that widespread um, pain chart, which you know, at the beginning I said that wasn't a medical term. Turns out it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah. I mean, do you still do that? Do you almost have like an internal widespread pain chart in your head and you kind of literally chart where you are and on a day to day and how that's I, how it's feeling? Not, not as specifically as that, but I, I do journal every day and every day mm. is sort of written in there. If I have certain symptoms, certain ailments so that I can sort of keep track on it. And it also allows me to uh, pick out any patterns as well. Um, obviously the last year I've just kind of given myself free reign to just know that anything is like possible because, you know, mm. going through the grieving process, you never know what you're going to wake up feeling like, but, um, you know, and I'm not sure if this is the case for everyone with fibro, but it seems like my symptoms are, you know, there's a, a short list of symptoms there, which I have, and it doesn't sort of really venture into other things. So now that I'm mm. aware of, right. This is what this, this is what the chest pain is. This is what the jaw pain is. This is what the head pain is, you know, and it's being able to say, all right, okay, I want to know what that is. Mm. 
Um, It doesn't feel like it varies a huge amount for me. It's always quite similar. And the symptoms, like I say, they flare up when I'm particularly stressed or anxious. So I'm like, Mm. right, okay, well, that's hurting. That's because of that. And it's once you have the knowledge, I know we talked a lot about this with the anxiety, but once you have the knowledge, it makes you so much more aware and you feel slightly more in control. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked before about the power of diagnosis and the power of labeling, you know, whether that's kind of sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's a neurodiverse condition, whether it's a medical condition, actually having a label or a diagnosis attached to it actually for some can be absolutely freeing. And I can, I I can only see the positives of being diagnosed with fibro if that's what you have, because then you know, and all the other symptoms suddenly start to make sense. And although you can't treat it, or as you said, they're going to be short term if there is going to be any relief of any kind, like your sleeping pills, like your pain relief. But ultimately, you know, you can rest assured that that is what you've, you've got. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's um, it's like a couple of other things that we've discussed. It's almost like a validation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to the doctor, you know, two, three, four, five times a month and you're seeing the the same person or a different person and you're saying, this is an issue and they're giving you another set of pills for something else, you know, like, oh, right, you've got headaches. The headaches aren't going away, right? Try this. All right, you've got IBS, right? Take this, right? And all of a sudden you're walking around like a rattling medicine cabinet. And there's nothing there to say all of these things are linked. And I was just thinking, why, why have I got so many things wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and I got, I used to get really, I used to be quite self-conscious about it. Cause I was like, why am I always in pain? Why, why have I always got a headache? Why have I always got problems with my hips? Why this, why that? And as soon as someone says, yes, this is what it is. You're like, oh. Okay, so it wasn't it wasn't in my head. It is there. It is a thing. It is real. Mm-hmm. And now I know what it is. I can go on and try and work with it. And you know, the different things that have helped me over the years. Like I said, I did try um anti-anxiety medication for a little bit. Um it wasn't for me. That's not to say it's not for for other people, but it wasn't for me. I didn't really feel like it was helping um in the sense with because because it wasn't there all the time because I was getting flare-ups it's like for example my dog right gets incredibly stressed when there's a thunderstorm right he this is Barney he goes he goes into something which we call full dolphin mode and he makes a noise like a dolphin where he starts to like get himself really agitated and he runs around the house like a lunatic I said to the vet I was like what can I do because I said I hate seeing him so stressed and she's like right here's these tablets these are anti-anxiety tablets um make sure you give them to him before the storm starts I'm like how look I'm not Michael Fish I don't know when there's going to be a thunderstorm coming, you know, and I don't want to start just getting him to pop pills when it, it forecasts one, because what if there's not one? So I was like, right, well, that's, that's not going to work. But it's the same with anti-anxiety medication. I didn't want to take it all the time. But yeah. of course, knowing when you're going to be stressed or anxious, it's not really that predictable. No. Um, so therapy for me was big help um, because it gave me the opportunity to um 
to, like to talk about my concerns my anxieties and everything and I've I've obviously talked a lot about talking therapy and how I'm a massive advocate for it because I do think it helps hugely but again it's finding the right type of therapy I know you've done CBT before yeah CBT is supposed to be a massive massive thing for people with fibro I tried it I didn't really get on with it that might have been the practitioner it might have been my receptiveness to it I'm not sure, but I didn't really feel like it was for me. Um, but I've adapted my lifestyle because I now know what it is. I know the things that make it worse. Mm. I do what I can. You know, I can't like the thunderstorms with Barney. I don't know when the times of stress are going to hit me, but I know when they do, I need to look at ways to calm myself. I need to look at ways to handle that stress, to try and relax to eat well, to try and exercise within my known limits. You know, I have to do the things that I can to work with what I've got. Yeah. And on that note, I can we talk about support and what yeah. things could help? Because again, doing my bit of research, you've pretty much nailed all the things that were coming out of how Sorry. to help people with it. No, 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 <laughs> it's, it's all good stuff. Stolen your, your thunder. That, 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 can I have one of Barney's pills for that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so things like aerobic exercise and muscle strengthening exercise um, are supposed to help with the condition. Um, anything ryth- rhythmic, uh, moderate intensity. So as you said, keeping it within your limit, you know, that if you've got fibro, that doesn't mean you should go out and train for a marathon tomorrow if you've never run before, because that's just going to be completely counterintuitive to all the physical um, effects that happen with having fibro. But things like um, aerobic exercise, it can improve quality of life and actually relieve that pain. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah. And I've, I've tried to do different exercise anyone that knows me will know that I have been on a journey of self-discovery when it comes to exercise I hate exercising I hate it Um, (laughs) and um I uh I started doing strength training um and weightlifting years ago um and uh powerlifting and I got actually quite good at it until I ruined my shoulder my shoulder my shoulder with osteo osteoarthritis and had to have surgery in that so that kind of put an end to that um for me now my exercise of choice is running and I'm not very good at it I've never professed to be very good at it we had Paul on a couple of weeks ago that said you know and his dad used to run he could do a 15 what did he say 5k in 15 minutes yeah 5k in 15 minutes just 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 super fast I mean I'm there's no I mean my Strava will tell you that's just not ever going to happen but (laughs) I started it out with a a want for trying to sort my mental health out and uh just walking to start with and then a gentle jog and then into a run and like I say I'm not the best at it but I can do a 5k not going to tell you in what time um but when I'm on it I can I can improve my times and it's just getting out and it helps mentally and physically, but I know that I can't push myself so far because it does have, it does have an impact. And it, yeah. I suppose it's the same with, with anything, you, you know, you have to have rest days and you have to work with, you know, within your limits mm. and doing more each time you get stronger, mm. but it's not doing too much too quickly. Cause you don't want to have, you don't want to be counterproductive. No, as always, it's listening to your body, isn't yeah. it? 
yeah yeah um yeah and that pacing yourself yeah that's the next one and then the sleep thing because obviously I've known you for a while now um and sleep has always been elusive to you 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 had difficulty sleeping which I'm guessing is part of the fibromyalgia um and it does say about um improving your sleeping habits which can help with the sleep um so you know getting up at the same time every morning try and relax create a routine avoid caffeine and alcohol um avoid eating a heavy meal late at night um all of those kind of things um you know make sure that you've got safe space that you're comfortable in your bedroom that there's you know don't go on your phone at five minutes before you you're going to go to sleep all those kind of things to try and give you a fighting chance has any of those helped for you because I know sleep is a particular area for you yeah I think it I think it has um and I know that uh, there are a lot of people I've spoken to who suffer with insomnia in its own right and I don't have issues with insomnia I do have issues having a full and rested night's sleep um I try to have a bath before bed most evenings because that sort of, again, you're stepping away from your mobile phone. You're stepping away from everything else. And it's almost like that stop gap between your day and bed. And it's that chance to just relax and unwind. And also soaking in the warm water helps your body and helps sort of any aches and things like that. Um, I There's nothing I love more than poking some ear um, plugs in and putting on so I've got this um, heavy sleep mask mm. so it's supposed to be like an anxiety relieving sleep mask mm. and it's a sort of weighted one that completely surrounds your face not your face like, sounds like you can't you can't breathe, <laughs> Can you breathe? wearing some sort of gimp mask no um, it's a no, balaclava it's- right <laughs> Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, um, it completely sort of goes around your um, eyes and over your ears, and it completely surrounds you in darkness. So you cannot. Um, y- 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 there's no cognitive distraction at yeah. all. It's almost and like that sensory deprivation. Yes, from hearing yeah. and seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just like the sleep tank, where my friend says she goes in, there's no noise or sound or anything, and you just think, oh, everything's silent. That only works if your brain is going to be ready and willing to play ball. Mm. Because my my issue is is a is a busy anxious brain, and it's actually getting off to sleep in the first place and then staying asleep. Yeah. Or if I wake up in the night, actually being able to get back to sleep is a real issue for me because my my yeah. brain's going. Oh, you know that thing. <laughs> you know that little thing that you thought about today. That's now a massive thing. Let's think about that right now. And um, let's think about all the mistakes you've ever made. And you're like, oh, God, no, it's 3 a.m. Please go away. And then, of course, the more you're thinking, I need to go to sleep. I need to go to sleep. The less you'll be going to be able to sleep. So, um, yeah, I've, I know what you said about the going to sleep at the same time each day, waking up each day, like your circadian rhythm and getting into sleeping mm. patterns and things like that. I've tried to do that. And again, most of the time it's really helpful and doing all the things like a bath and switching off any like devices and stuff like that helps me more than it doesn't. But when the flare ups of anxiety come and during really stressful times, um, it just, it's just elusive and it, and nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing really helps. Um, I still remember 
um, the weeks after when Poppy died and I just laid in bed in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, I'd go to bed and I took sleeping tablets because the couple of weeks after and the weeks after their funeral, I just couldn't sleep. And I took, I was taking sleeping tablets because I was too afraid. Cause I was like, I don't want to be awake. I don't want mm-hmm. to go. I need to go to bed. And it would get me off to sleep and it would get me sleeping to a certain point. And then I'd wake up and I just lay there in my, in the dark with my, um, mind spinning and you just think I just want to go to sleep and you you your mind your body feels tired and your mind feels tired but all of a sudden on the flip side it's spinning at a million miles an hour so it's 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 a difficult one that the sleep is probably the thing that I really struggle with the most more than anything and it's amazing how lack of sleep can just affect everything as well oh Um, yeah yeah just it just sounds like the brain and body constantly in conflict oh no thank you for being so open about it it's 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 been something that I've literally learned in the last couple of days doing the research for this episode and it's been fascinating eye-opening um shocking it's yeah it's been fantastic to to kind of learn more about it um with in terms of support um there's obviously a lot of support groups out there um, that I found that fib- Fibromyalgia Action UK seemed to be, fa- you know, all the guides, all the support and the resources are a great go-to. A lot of the stats and everything that I found were from there. Um, is there anything else from, from your end that you wanted to kind of throw out there for support? Um, there are a couple of people on Instagram who I follow um, who I'll pop onto the website um, that are good for fibro um, who live with it daily and you can see them living their lives and you know they they often shelling out advice and stuff which is great um there's also a couple of facebook pages as well so i'll try and root those out and we can put them on the website but ultimately if you have chronic pain and you are struggling you need to go you know if if you haven't been diagnosed with something like fibromyalgia i'm not saying it's fibromyalgia you need to go to the gp and you need to actually push and say look i don't feel right this isn't normal for me to suffer with this many headaches a week to not be able to sleep at all, you know, and to really go with the symptoms that you are suffering with rather than leaving it to them to put it all together. I wish I'd known that because I had no idea. And, you know, to be able to say, look, for the last year, I've been suffering with this, 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 and this, and it's really causing me issues with living my life and really push to make sure that they're listening to you and to work out what the, what the issue is and to make sure you get treated from it. Brilliant. And yeah, I, I, like I said, learning all about this now, I hope it's kind of helped other people learn mm. a bit more. And if you know someone with fibro, then, you know, what level of support you can provide them and, and possibly a bit more about what they're going through as well. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if there's anyone out there as well, listening to this, who does suffer with fibromyalgia and you'd like to come on and talk about it, because mm. like I say, everyone's story is totally different. It would be really interesting to hear from you. So um, give us a shout yeah. on our social media pages or on our website. Please do. Yeah. And um, that's it for another week of quick brews. going to go and get myself another cup of tea now. Are you? I'm actually going to introduce ourselves. So I forgot to introduce us at the beginning. Did you see that? <laughs> Do it then. Go on. I've been Vicky. I've been Katie. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for joining us for Quick Bruce. (laughs) We'll see you for another one next time and we'll tell you who we are when we start. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, everyone. Bye.